storm of 2017. You are the hardcore, the elite. And so um, we are, we're, we're going to have an incredible morning together. One of the things that we fully believe and celebrate, um, I, I don't know, uh, you're, I think that each personality should be unique in the room, and they are. And I don't know your typical response. I, I do know that um, quite a few fans yesterday erupted in joy. If you're a Seminole fan and there was 56 seconds left at the end of the ball game yesterday, there was jubilation in your household. Um, the Gators squeaked another one out. So proud for them. Um, the, Alabama, you could quit cheering by the first quarter. We were up by 70. And so, um, I mean, it's just... There, I, but LSU fans will be sad if I mention it. And so, but Matt is so excited about the Troy Trojans. They have a football team. And um, did I say sad or excited? So excited, yeah. And so, um, but I, I was just like pondering when uh, there was a little bit of eruption on the front row that kind of scattered through the room. It's okay if you're wired this way to say, um, you know, amen, when you hear that you were once dead in your sins and trespasses, but God in his great mercy has made you alive with Jesus. I mean, if you're just like a soft ameniter, it's a good moment to go, yeah. But the, like, And if you're like a cheerer, like yesterday when it ended and you were like running around your house high-fiving, that's a moment when we hit that where I'm peaceful with that if you are, where we kind of become a little more jubilant about the reality and truth of Scripture. And when it hits us, if our personality is wired to high-five our neighbor because we were made alive in Christ through the cross for His glory, that would be a powerful moment. When you were reading the Scripture, my response yesterday would have been, well, I won't scream, I would have almost screamed and you would have all had to wake up. I would have like been yelling at my TV, you know, Bama just scored again. Are you kidding me? And that's not even remotely close to how I hit it. And so I don't know. I'm just not, I don't have an agenda to say you've got to respond a certain way. But there are some of us that we hear these truths and there should be eruption in our hearts. And praise you God for who you are. We have the unlimited power of God in Christ, and I have a little announcement to say, praise Jesus for that. Um, your car, however, does not have unlimited power. And so some, one of you drives a red Jeep, and you left your lights on, and so before I start preaching, you may want to slide out, turn your lights off, and come back in so that you can drive home in this rain. And that, that really wasn't being funny there. I was serious. Somebody with a red Jeep, I was just told, has their lights on, so whoever gets up, y'all say goodbye to them, and you know, however that works. Um, I want to read of uncommon nobility this morning from the third chapter of the book of Philippians. And many, if not most of us, have been in groups this morning already. And so um, the reality of uncommon nobility, who we are as followers of Jesus, simply does not fit in this world. And I had examples that um, were laid out for me. And then I sat down in my group, which was a little smaller today because of the rain. And so we had this intimate time just to share together. And um, there's an, a nobility about us that is antithetical to what most in this world call noble. It is extraordinary for us to walk about laying down our lives for one another. There's this nobility about Jesus when, as we in our groups this morning have been sharing about the cross, we didn't, we didn't get past the cross today. We didn't get to the good news. We didn't move on to the resurrection as our groups. We just lingered at the cross. 
We just sat down at the cross and we saw this nobility of the cross where, where we're not battling for who's right and we're not battling for our privileges and we're not battling for our gain. We are, it's an uncommon nobility where Jesus willfully and joyfully went to the cross on our behalf and displayed for us what it looks like to be a follower of his, where we're not sitting around battling for our rights and our privileges and our gain. And and I don't say this in light of any recent events. I say this in light of our own makeup, that we long to be right. We long to be first. We long to have gain. And not only does Jesus demonstrate that for us, on the powerful work of the cross, but Paul carries it on. John the Baptist carries it on. If you read scripture, the nobility that we seek in this world, Paul says it this way, I want to, I want to completely and utterly categorize it. The Greek word is scubula. It is the most potent word for dung that you could use. I want to categorically, and what he doesn't say is, let me list out, which um, Matt so beautifully preached on last week, let me list my accomplishments and who I am. He says, okay, now let me put all of those in a box, put them in a corner, and every time I look at them, categorically, they are done to me. Because here's what I have become about, this surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. And I, I am, I'm just have these weird people that I'm fans of and, and I just have been deep influences in my life 20 years ago when, when, um, when God gave me this life changing experience at 19. I mean, I love, I, I, early in my walk with Christ read Keith Green's biography autobiography and just a world changer for me just his humility what he was about his his joy in Christ where he um, where his venture took him I one of my favorite authors is Brennan Manning um, he would describe himself and he would describe Keith Green I'm going to talk about Rich Mullins in a minute he would just describe them all as ragamuffins he would probably describe Paul himself as a ragamuffin that the the gospel is not coming so that we can become more beautiful or more powerful or more ambitious in this world and in fact in our class today we just sat and talked and realized that a large portion of the nobility that we will carry on this world will be by faith because much of it won't be answered this side of heaven and we're just we're just a whole slew of ragamuffins running around for the sake of the gospel trusting God by faith that what we are about on this earth will be um, will be rewarded in an eternal manner and most of the time we will walk around being wrong and giving ourselves away for the sake of the gospel and it's an uncommon nobility and and, and in fact are we not in a current day and trend where this is an easy message. I mean, this is fundamentally antithetical to every single thing that has happened in the news in the last weeks. We long for a nobility that is temporal and powerful, and Jesus teaches a nobility that is eternal and humble. There's powerful things that. One of my favorite guys is Rich Mullins, kind of lived out this idea of nobility. If you 
follow Richard. If you don't, he wrote multitudes of songs. If you've ever sung the song, Awesome God, you um, know Rich Mullins. And Rich died at a very young age, but until then he was just writing songs about the goodness of Christ and what it means to be noble and what it means to walk in an uncommon nobility. Um, Rich uh, had no idea what, what money he had. His songs had been um, sung across the church for decades at the point of his death, probably about 15 to 17 years. Many of them were um, were, were just absolutely financially uh, reckoning for him. And um, Rich took a vow of poverty, lived with an Indian reservation, and just simply said, this is who I want to be for the sake of the gospel, and gave any monies that he had to distribute out to serve mankind. And I just, I kind of fell in love with Rich Mullins and, you know, awesome God, step by step, lead me, Lord. And there, when Rich led in concerts, and for those of you that have, have had moments of concern about, you know, wardrobe, whether my personal wardrobe or another, you would have loved Rich Mullins. And in fact, I had a season of life where I just walked this out because as I was reading and Rich was talking about it, he said, I ultimately reached the conclusion as I went to concerts in varying places that the very last thing that I wanted someone to think about was any of my, for my word today, nobility, any thought of Rich Mullins. And so what I just began to do is wear a pair of common blue jeans and a white t-shirt and no shoes so that they would just simply say, I don't remember who that guy was, but when he walked in, he brought a lot of Jesus. I went through a little phase in life and just adopted that completely. So if those of you that have concerns about wardrobe or wish I wore more of this or less of that, um, I went through a phase for quite a long season where I just preached in a t-shirt and jeans just so that when they, people walked out, they said, I don't remember that guy's name. I don't know who he was. I don't know what he was about, but I do remember this. There was a lot made of Jesus. And if we could have that success, if there's ever a commentary about our wardrobe, we may have missed it. If there's a commentary about our accolades that we fronted for other people, we may have missed it in this world. If there's commentary about what we're about, we may have missed it unless the commentary is this. When we walked out of that room, those songs, those people, that dude up front, he loves Jesus. And the only commentary that runs around among our body of believers is the glory and the wonder of Christ. That's why Paul would write things that are just un, uncommon in nobility and why he would write things that don't fit with us. And I, I do believe that he would write things that would greatly challenge us today. And so let me greatly challenge us with the words of Scripture. Here, here's my nobility in verse 7 of chapter 3 of the book of Philippians. He says, but, and I circled the next word, everything that was gained to me I've considered to be a loss because of Jesus. So this is more than that. I, I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and yet consider them rubbish Dung, the Greek word is skubula. So if you want to say a bad word in Greek, say skubula, because nobody will interpret this and what he's saying about this. I consider it to be skubula for the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And that's an uncommon nobility in this world. That's an uncommon, and here's, here's what I want. So that, here's why. So that I could gain Christ. 
and being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith in Jesus Christ. And when he, when he carves it all away, he's just really saying there is one glorious gain and one glorious good about my life. And it will be this, that I know Christ. I know the power of his sufferings. That's uh, Ryan. I don't think he intentionally did this, but he, he quoted the front end part that we like. I want to know Christ. I want to the joy of his resurrection. In between that, Paul said, I want to know Christ. I want to join with him in his sufferings. I want to lay down my temporal goals for the eternal goal of the good of Christ. I want to perpetuate the name of Christ. I want people to walk away and say, nothing was made except Christ known in the midst of this. And that is the glorious good. And the only way I do that is when I stop faithing in what he described in verses 5 and 6. I stop faithing in my agenda. I stop faithing in my ethnicity. I stop faithing in my history. I stop faithing in where I've studied. I stop faithing in my accomplishment. I stop faithing in where I've been in this world and I faith here in the righteousness and the credence that has been given to me by the sovereign God through Jesus Christ. That is 180 from anywhere that most of us in the church live, much less the world. Most of us are sitting around going, I am faithing right now. And I think if we follow the trail of our lives, of our time, our possessions, our passions, what keeps us up at night, you would find where your faith lies. At the end of that trail, you would find exactly what's critical to you is what keeps you up at night, where you invest your resources, where you invest your time, what you're about. And I believe that the preponderance of the church has settled for a temporal nobility and not the uncommon nobility of faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why we keep battling for being right, being seen, being known. And Paul just says, look, I'm sitting in a prison cell and it matters not to me who knows me. Let's just build the church and let's get to know Jesus. And so um, I have some very practical questions and two thoughts. I hope I get to share them. This is the first thought, and it should come on the screen. In our intentional loss, and listen to that, this isn't, there's no haphazard word here. In our intentional loss, in our, as a church, intentionally coming to the cross today and saying, I laid down these things so that I can pick up an uncommon nobility. If we would intentionally lose for the gain of Christ this morning, there would be restoration across this room. There would be restoration in our relationship to Jesus. There would be restoration in relationships on this earth. There would be restoration between fathers and sons and mothers and daughters. There would be restoration between neighbors because we would stop determining to be right and we would humbly serve those around us. There would be absolute revival in this room and there would be someone in the room amening and nodding and going, yes, Lord. Because this, this isn't haphazard in our reading of Scripture today, in our pleasant thought for the next half hour, and then the pastor will let us out. No, no. In our intentional loss, we gain a far greater and far more glorious eternal good. If you were asked this, and I just want to run through and read some Scriptures to you, what's the greatest good on this earth? How would you answer it? 
You just jot down notes or, I mean, what was your first response? If you were asked this, what is the greatest good on this earth? I think Paul wrestled with this and, and solidified it in his purposes and his pursuits. And that's why he's able to write of uncommon no, nobility. Everything was gained to me. I've considered lost because of Jesus. I can see everything to be lost. It's gone in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. In this text, I wrote, Paul has settled this. The greatest good on this earth is Christ. The greatest thing that he will pursue on this earth is Christ. I know this might be a simple message today, but how simply profound is it for most of us? It is for me. I want to know Christ. Paul's goal is the goodness of God. Paul's goal is the glory of God. Paul's goal is to know the purposes of God. Paul's goal is to know the ways of God. And the best news is that we are likewise invited to this great goodness to say, God, I want to know you. I want to know who you are. What were we made for? You think it's going to be the same answer every time. We're made to know Christ. That's why we are here. What aim should we set for ourselves in this life? Let me just send you, the, send you the bullseye of your life. I want to know Christ. That is the ultimate and quintessential gain. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? The knowledge of God. The eternal life, John 17, 3, verse, verse 17, 3 says this. This is eternal life, that they could know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent. His name is Jesus. So what is the, what is the ultimate gain? What is this eternal life? What did we baptize your daughter into? We baptized into the reality of this. I want to know Jesus. That's eternal life. I want to know the power of who he is. What is the best and most glorious thing that we will pursue? It will bring more joy, more delight, more contentment than anyone or anything else. It's to know Christ. So I give you scripture so that you don't think, wow, he's just being, this is what the Lord says in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. The wise person shouldn't boast in his wisdom. The strong person would never boast in his strength. The wealthy person would never boast in his wealth. There will be wise and strong and wealthy people in this room. And yet that is not our boast. Here it is. But the one who boasts, should boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Hallelujah. That I am the Lord. I am showing faithful love and justice and righteousness on this earth. If we long for justice and righteousness, it was my great, I'm not going to by any stretch get into any of the politics of this last week because I just care about the cross of Christ. But I love the idea that I will bow my heart and pray for a unity of heart and mind and know that I am with God as I pray for just and rightness on this earth. And I will know that it will happen not when I battle for my rights and my justice. It will happen when we universally, as followers of Jesus, lay down our rights and care more for the rights of others. That's Philippians 2. This is just all building up. And what a powerful thing to say, God, I I delight in things. Let's listen to the end of 9, 23 and 24. This, listen, this is the Lord's declaration. 
I'm speaking to you not with my idea. This is the word of God for the people of God. This is the declaration of the Lord. May we come in this room, wealthy ones. May we come in this room, impoverished ones. May we come in this room, wise ones. May we come in this room, intellectual ones. May we come into this room, strong ones, and declare to the Lord that it is not our strength in which we boast, but it is in the Lord Jesus Christ. That would be beautiful. Here's here's what Hosea says. More than sacrifice, more than diligence, more than being good. I long for the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. In other words, stop telling me about how much you love me and live it. Demonstrate among the body of Christ the knowledge of God among you. The uncommon nobility that makes up this fellowship. The uncommon nobility of a people who live in the manner of Christ, who join Paul in saying, if I will boast, it will be in the cross of Christ. For in the cross of Christ, the world dies to me and I die to the world. I want to know Christ. And I want to uncommonly and nobly pour out my life for his sake. And in doing so and elevating him, love and justice will prevail. But I will probably be wounded in the process. And in fact, I will probably bear stripes. And I will probably bear a cross. And that is guaranteed for us as followers of his. It's beautiful. We must live for something that is far greater than us, that captures our imagination. I read these verses by Paul. I see them lived out by Jesus. And I think Paul is living a form of nobility that is rarely expressed, but he had a model for this. And I just want to illustrate it, not with a story. Well, a guy named Steve, Dad, when I was 19 at Camp Willow Run, there was a guy named Steve that was there for six days before I knew who he really was. Steve led a basketball camp. I taught at that camp for three weeks. It was a radical life-changing experience for me. God did massive things in my life. I just knew Steve was there and he's heading up the camp. I found out later that Steve played... I, I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina. And if you grew up in Kentucky, you love the Cats. If you grew up in North Carolina, you love a lot of teams. But I particularly love the Tar Heels. Thank you. We have, we have one. One other Carolinian here, Dad. Thank you so much. Here. And so I love the Tar Heels growing up. I, I had no, I just was hanging out with Steve. Steve was boasting all through the camp as we worked with inner city kids from the greater DC area. He just boasted in Jesus. I mean, his devotions were powerful. Steve was in med school. He's, I just looked him up this week. He's, he's now in, in Enid, Oklahoma as a pediatrician. His whole heart, as he shared with me, was, to become a medical missionary, to just be able to go and give his services to children in other parts of the world. I don't think at that point it was sorted out to be children, but it was just to give medical advances in other parts of the world while he just lived for Christ. I I can't even know that Steve played on the 1981 national championship team with James Worthy and Sam Perkins and Michael Jordan and, you know, just going three guys who are top 100 in history. This is Steve. I'm just going, Steve, are you kidding me? And when I would mention it, he would like shy away from it and come back to Jesus. And, And over that two to three week period, God just began to prevail in my heart, not solely because of Steve, but critically because of him and his testimony, because everything that I would have counted gain, um, my dad is here so he can 
vouch for this from the very moment I could dribble as a child from the times I would play uphill in the snow both ways as a child. I played basketball dreaming of the day that um, I would play for the North Carolina Tar Heels and Dean Smith and Carmichael Auditorium. It never happened because my skill level was low. (laughs) But my passion level was sky high. And I taught camp with a guy who lived this out and lived every ambition I had and counted it all lost and never made mention of it. Yet for the nobility of Christ, it completely turned my world upside down. And uh, in doing so, about 10 days later, God had been working for a season, but used a guy who lived uncommon nobility. Would you, if you played with Jordan for the 81 team, aren't you going to like tell somebody about that day one? You're not like me if you aren't. I mean, I'm like going, yeah, here's, here's the bling, baby. And so um, there's another guy that had that opportunity. We see him in Scripture, and I won't, I won't elongate this because I want you to be able to move on and wrestle with this yourself. But there's another guy in Scripture to just live this. The people of Israel had not heard a lot of hope in 400 years. And here comes John the Baptist just coming and making declaration, living out this Philippians 3, 7 through 9 context and saying, I just, I want to come and I want to bring glory to the, to the one who is coming after me. And so he's, he's prophesying, he's speaking. The people are thirsty. Again, 400 years of not a lot of words. And here comes John the Baptist speaking a lot of words, a lot of truth. A lot of the glory of God. There's a lot of baptisms. They're lining up. They're not like, we've got Emma and then we'll pray for more next week. They got dozens and dozens coming every day going, baptize us in the hope of the gospel. And John is baptizing. They're anticipating promise. They're in hope of hope. And, and there's this, if there's ever a moment for spotlight, he's standing in it. I mean, the people are lining up, and if you're our day and age, I don't know what the business sector does, so I'm not even going to pretend, but if you're in the Jesus sector, you're like a preacher. I kind of wrote down, baptisms are abounding, people are gathering, headlines are available, you can grab the platforms, and now you can get on the speaker circuit, you can start telling them why, you know, this was successful, you can, you can, you know, commence to share more and more, they're ready and they're on point. Here's what he does. Here's what John the Baptist does. He says, um, as people begin to say, take a bigger stage. This is all in John 1 and John 3. You are more than welcome to read this in context of Philippians 3, verses 7 through 9. In John 1 and John 3, he says these words. He says, look, I know that you want me to step up, but here's, here's what I want you to hear. I am not the one you're looking for. I'm not the Christ. Here's, here's where they went naturally because this nobility that we're pursuing, it's uncommon. So this is where most of us, again, this is the, this is the religious crowd with him. Oh, you're not the Messiah. That's powerful. So then you must, here's where they go. Second tier. You must be Elijah. In other words, we've got to stack this up on this earth. This needs to be pretty important. We're following you. You must be Elijah. And he says, that's not me. Then, barely under the second tier, then apparently a great new prophet sent by God. Not me. Who are you? Do you want to hear the stake in this world of someone who believes in the eternal good of the, of the good of the greatness and the glory of God? Who are you? Here's our stake. Here's what he says in John, the first chapter. I am the voice calling in the desert. I'm the voice in a dry place. I'm the voice holding out water and life. And here's what I say. Make straight the path to the Lord. 
And the people just kind of go, okay, that's good. We're going to keep baptizing. And two chapters later, he just kind of carries this on. The next day, John is sharing, he's teaching, he's baptizing. And his people get a little flummoxed by this because apparently just down river in eyesight, Jesus comes along and he's starting to baptize more. And here's where they begin to say to him, we want you to do something prolific right now, John. Stand your ground. I love friends of mine that are shaking their head like, seriously? No, no, we do this all the time. Stand your ground. Be right. Center your strategy. Focus on yourself. Just make make straight our way. We followed you. And there's, there's what John the Baptist says. I see him down there. And here's my first word. Behold. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. My point is never about myself. It is the point you're right down there. And in fact, if all of you who are following me would exit stage left, you go follow Him. It will be beautiful. It will be glorious if you go and follow Him. Make straight, for that is what we are. If you want to know and understand and live out the very essence of Philippians 3, 7-9, through 9, allow this to become your life verse, your motto, and your heart cry. Behold, I have seen and I have worshipped and I am encompassed by the Lamb of God. Make straight the path to Him. That is an eternal good that could become a glorious reckoning for this church and for every believer and individual that makes up this room. Here's what he says, and, and it's a boggling statement in chapter 3 of John. He's the one. Listen to listen how he describes him. Here is wisdom. A man who came after me has surpassed me because he was before me. That's John. There's wisdom right there. There is a bigger and more important story that was before me. It preceded me. It was known of me. It was knew where I would be and it will carry on far after me. So in this temporal moment, the one that is here in this moment was before me and will be after me. And so if we can just make him the center story, we will do well. The next day, again, he just continued and he said in chapter 3, verses 27 and 28 of the book of John, no one can receive anything. Stand your ground, John. He does. No one gets anything unless it's been given to him from heaven. You yourselves testify. I'm not the Messiah. I have been sent ahead of him. That's my my job. Stand your ground, John. Don't let the people go. Okay, verse 29. He who has the bride, he's the groom. The groom's friend, that's us stands by and listens for him, rejoices greatly at the groom's voice and says, I am complete. The groom is here. I've done my job. Make straight the path of the Lord. And then he uttered the words that is the pathway to gain. John 3.30. Listen. Jesus must increase and I must decrease. If we could end with this, I would love it. No matter what else could occur, Jesus must expand and emerge in the hearts of Mandarin Baptist Church and the people who make up this church. Here's here's the sentence that I wrote, and I think it's a very important sentence. I think this would be um, a determination of our ability to live this. Jesus teaches us. Let Let this sink in for a minute. 
and I, I think it's on the screen, um, it begins with Jesus teaches us of a focused. But, but listen to this. He wasn't tossing out in John 3.30 a great suggestion. He, he wasn't coming out with, you know, he should increase. It's not what he said. He, he wasn't coming out with this stimulating idea like a good pastor. I want to spark your imagination today and then you'll respond. That's, that's not where he's at at all. Here's what he's saying. I am focused and determined and it is a calculated and purposed and passionate response. He must. He will. It is the clarion call of my life. I am determined that this is what I am to be about. Jesus must increase and I must become smaller. Yes. If we are to live out this idea of God emerging as the great and glorious one, then in context of our relationships with one another, Jesus, you must increase and I must decrease. In, in context of what we deem as success or failure, Jesus, if your name is increasing, then we are succeeding. In what we say in context of our family life, Jesus, under our roof, you are becoming more beautiful. We are living well for the sake of your glory. You are increasing. We are decreasing. Your name is beginning to write itself on the walls of our hearts and on the walls of our family. You are beautiful in context of our groups. If we could look at our groups and say this, Lord, we are discovering among our groups this ability to increase in the knowledge of God. Because what, what in the world are we here for? To know Christ. And God, we are finding the target of our, our small group is this. To know Jesus. The fellowship of his sufferings. The rejoicing of, of knowing who he is. The maturity of who we are becoming in him. And we will, by some measure of your grace, gain salvation. He's not sitting around going, I have an idea. Or I have a suggestion. He's saying, I have a declaration. I have a stake in the ground. I have a determined and impassioned heart. Jesus must increase. And the story of who I am must be pushed down. And the only way I know to do that, and I am with this verse, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because you're going to want your story to be bigger every day of your life. And I, I, I don't say this lightly, and I did not. This is nowhere in my notes. I just think that the Holy Spirit is bringing this verse to mind. Every day of my life, I will battle to be the center stage. And I want with trembling hands to work out my salvation fearfully before the Lord. For it is Christ who will then internally work within. And here's where he'll lead me. To will and to act for the good pleasure of the living God with determined focus and trembling hands and directed passion, I invite Jesus, O Lord, increase within me, increase within this body of Christ, decrease our story, increase your own. And I believe that we will have been eternally and joyously The only word that comes to mind is successful and it does not fit. Eternally and joyously boastful in the cross. 
So Jesus, I pray that there would be a determination that would make up this body today. God, we're going to close with a song that seems to so fit this moment. I have, I have no doubt that this room is made up of many of us who have climbed into a grave of self-will and a grave of determined self-glorification. And so Jesus, as we close this service, I pray that we would offer ourselves as living sacrifices to you, that you would find it holy and pleasing, that there would not be a response of another song and a walkout, but there would be a response of an aroma of lives given to you for the sake of your name and your glory. And so, God, I pray that there will be a running out of graves this morning, a running toward the cross, a running toward what this world would call a radically uncommon nobility. Jesus, I praise you that you long to increase your story. It is the one great good that stands over eternity. And I pray that you would do that within us. And so we close the service, Lord, I pray, with trembling hands. The Greek word for fear can be translated many ways. I pray that there would be a holy fear of you, Lord. A holy awe of you, Lord. A holy worship of you, Lord. That our lives would be moved toward you, Lord. That you would work out our salvation with awe, with fear, with trembling. And you would work within us so that, Jesus, you were rising up within us. Your spirit is welling up within us. And there is repentance and joy flowing out of us. For you are a beautiful workmanship. Some of our pastors gather at the front at this point in the service. If you would like to have someone lift your name before the Father, we're here. If you would like to come and find an altar, just simply kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. This is a great song and a beautiful moment to worship. If you just want to turn to a friend and begin to talk of the great glories of God, it is a beautiful moment for that. If you want to sing this song with our students, it's also a good thing. The only great thing we could do in a thousand ways is to lift up the name of Jesus in closing. So would you stand with me or kneel with me or sit with me or rise with me or run with me out of that grave as we close our time together. Pastors, would you make your way to the front? Come if you will.